this is you, Utah Phillips, the golden voice of the great Southwest, and you, of course, are listening to Loafer's Glory, the hobo jungle of the mind. Rosalie Sorrell's favorite poem from Kenneth Patchen. Hand me a star, take me to a new city. You're wasting your lives, you're going along with your pockets full of trash. You have been taught to want only the ugly and the small. You have been taught to hate what is clean and of the star. A dog will throw up when he is sick. Are you lower than dogs that you keep it all down and cram in more? The voice which is life shall sound all over the earth and over all who lie deep in its green arms. Go you to lie there as a fool or as a child, tired from his beautiful playing to fall happily asleep. Well, Grimes Creek, Idaho. I'm on the telephone now with Rosalie Sorrells, my old friend who lives up there in the mountain fastness of the Idaho Rockies. Hello, Rosalie. Hello. There, hello. Hello. There you are. You're, you've been building a fire because it's snowing there now? Yes, it's snowing to beat the band. And big flakes, not Great. just little it, flakes. Flakes. So, flakes. <laughs> you got a fire going now? Yeah. Okay, good. So it'll it'll warm up. It'll warm up. I guess what uh, most people have asked me about when they heard that I was going to talk to you on the telephone was uh, about the the current state of your health. You know, you had just had the uh, breast cancer surgery, yeah. and um, are convalescing. How's that going? Well, it's going pretty well. I'm I'm uh, mending a pace. I think. Let's see. Next Tuesday, they're going to implant something they call a port in my chest that they can drip some noxious substance <laughs> into me with, and uh, they're going to start the chemotherapy then. Uh, after that heals, that has to uh-huh. go for about a week. Well, the, oh, well, then the prognosis is good. Your attitude sounds great, and uh, your humor sounds as though it's intact. you have people up there helping out? Yeah, my brother came up for the last weekend. My kids have all been up and lots of friends. He came up to put in a garden, right? Yeah. And it's snowing. Yeah, yes. Well, I hope he has a nice vacation. <laughs> oh, he's, he's gone now. He left yeah, when the snow started coming down. <laughs> Who can blame him? One thing I wanted to ask you, you know, and this may be a personal question, but uh, uh, it isn't with me, and that is, you know, when I got the congestive heart failure, um, I said to my cardiologist, does this mean that I have to give up, uh, you know, uh, Bombay martini straight up with two olives on the side. And he said, no, you need your blood needs to be thinner. And so, uh, you know, martinis will help thin your blood. Just remember they're toxic, so don't take too many of them. What's, the, what's your prognosis in that front? Well, let's see. I think I, I, I've been drinking a little wine, no Bombay martinis. Um. But I think I probably have to stop that when I have the chemo because it makes you feel sick. I, I don't know that it hurts you any. It just makes you feel sick. Well, that's, um, I think that's probably a major calamity. But Yes, I, I, it is. I, I, however, will wait on, 
on the, the final decision because mm-hmm. some of my friends who've done it say they just went right on and drank all the wine they mm-hmm. wanted to and they were fine. They're probably herbal substitutes as far as that goes. God, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, going back through the uh, recordings that I have, and uh, we're going to, you know, I have a whole list of them here that we're going to be playing uh, during the course of the show, all the way back to Folkways when you were still living in Utah with, and your house was teeming with children. Remember, your, uh, your playpen looked like a bus stop for midgets. <laughs> and, and I found that uh, recording uh, that when you were first, when you were, uh, you were playing the baritone ukulele when I first met you. Right. And singing plaintive Scottish ballads like Lass of the Low Country. Remember how many times I asked you to sing that song? Uh, yeah. Lass of the Low Country. But then you started collecting songs around Utah, songs of the Utah pioneers, and then did that recording for folkways of the folk songs of Utah and Idaho. And um, this, the song that we're going to play is, uh, I think my favorite song from that record is Utah's Dixie because it's so true, yeah. it's so close to the truth. Do you ever sing those songs again? Oh, yeah. You know, I was just talking today to a woman in Boston who who called to see how I was, and she hired me about five years ago to come to Boston and sing for a bunch of Mormon ladies who had uh, were expatriate Westerners out there in Boston. And they hired me to come and, and tell them uh, stories and sing them songs from the Mormon pioneers. And every once in a while someone does that. I, I really enjoy Oh, once I lived in Cottonwood and owned a little farm But I was called the Dixie, which gave me much alarm To raise the cane and cotton, I right away must go But the reason why they sent me, I'm sure I do not know I yoked old Jim and Bally up all four to make a start To leave my house and garden, it almost broke my heart We moved along quite slowly and often looked behind For the sands and rocks of Dixie kept running through my mind At length we reached the Black Ridge where I broke my wagon down I could not find the carpenter, we're twenty miles from town so with a clumsy cedar pole, I fixed an awkward slide. My wagon pulled so heavy that Betsy could not ride. While Betsy was a-walkin', I told her to take care. When all upon a sudden, she struck a prickly pear. And she began to blubber out as loud as she could bawl. If I was back in Cottonwood, I would not come at all. And when we reached the Sandy, we could not move at all. For poor old Jim and Bally began to puff and bawl. I whipped and swore a little, but could not make the route. For myself, the team, and Betsy were all of us give out. And next we got to Washington, where there we stayed a while. To see if April showers would make the verger smile. But oh, I was mistaken, and so I went away. For the red hills of November look just the same in May. I feel so sad and lonely now, there's nothing here to cheer. Except prophetic sermons, which we very often hear. Now hand them up by dozens and prove them by the book. I'd rather have some roasting ears to stay at home and cook. 
I feel so weak and hungry now, I think I'm nearly dead. This seven weeks next Sunday since I've tasted bread. Of carrot tops and lucerne greens, we have enough to eat. But I'd like to change my diet off for buckwheat cakes and meat. The hot winds whirl around me and take my breath away. I've had the chills and fever till I'm nearly shook to death. All earthly tribulations are but a moment here. And oh, if I prove faithful, a righteous crown shall wear. My wagon sold for sorghum seed to make a little bread. Poor old Jim and Bally long, long ago were dead. There's only me and Betsy left to hold the cotton tree. May heaven help the Dixieite wherever he may be. We went up to, uh, I, I was getting hot in Utah, it seemed to me, and I had to get out for a while, so we went up to, to uh, Boise to work for the Unitarian Church. You had uh, accepted an offer to record a record for them to make some uh, money. Yeah. Uh, to, they, they wanted to build a church. Right. Seems to me that a liberal denomination, instead of building a building, would take their money and, and pass it out on the, on the skids to anybody who looked like they needed it. I could never understand that Unitarian building programs, but nonetheless, <laughs> there we were. We have to have some place to drink coffee. Oh, <laughs> well, oh, that's right. We had to leave Utah to get a cup of coffee. Uh, well, I think that I was listening to that recording. You know, I got finally. I finally it was a John Harm who put that together. Harm with an S on the end of it. Harm. Harms, okay. Yeah. And uh, the last song on that is uh, Somewhere Between by Malvina Reynolds. And you have a long connection with Malvina. I didn't know if you had met her at the time that we made that or not, but you have a long connection with Malvina Reynolds. In fact, I think that uh, the, the project you're currently interested in doing the most, would you tell us about that? Oh, I, I want to do an album of her songs. I, I would like to do a, a, a sort of a, a play-like thing, you know, like a, a reminiscence of telling stories about her and and uh, do some of the songs and some things that people have written about her just to kind of bring her back. She, You know, she was a very pragmatic sort of person and doesn't believe in an afterlife, but... Uh, I'd think of her as a kind of reluctant ghost, and I think we need a dose of her, so my intention was to drag her back kicking and screaming. <laughs> I'd like to tell people what I use her songs for, what I, what I think. I mean, they were great songs, but they also really make things happen, and, and I'd like to tell people about that. You've used a, a good bit of her music in doing that uh, powerful work you do with women's clinics, women's programs, and uh, uh, things like that, which you, in which you have a great uh, and, and abiding interest just for your own life experience. That's right. And those songs um, were actually way before their time, weren't they? Uh, yeah, they were. They're they're very pertinent right now, uh, and it's particularly some of her more introspective songs that never got listened to so much. The like I like that one. There's no hole in my head. Too bad. Where she starts out saying, uh, "Everybody thinks my head's full of nothing. They try to put their own special stuff in, fill the space with." candy wrappers 
keep out sex and revolution, but there's no hole in my head. That. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we're going to, yeah, we'll listen to Somewhere Between by, by Melvina Reynolds. On Monday I think I'm a sinner On Tuesday I know I'm a saint On Wednesday I don't know what I am But I know that a saint I ain't Somewhere between the good and the evil Somewhere between the right and the wrong Somewhere between the kind and the mean Somewhere between is where I belong On Monday I'd steal from a baby On Tuesday I'd give you my shirt on Wednesday I lie on my couch and I moan Cause my conscience is doing me dirt Somewhere between the good and the evil Somewhere between the right and the wrong Somewhere between the kind and the mean Somewhere between is where I belong On Monday I rail at my kinfolk On Tuesday I'm gentle and good On Wednesday I wonder I count every blunder I wish that I knew where I stood Somewhere between the good and the evil Somewhere between the right and the wrong Somewhere between the kind and the mean Somewhere between, that's where I belong If I could just peek at the record I know if it's mucky or clean I'd know if I'm destined for heaven or hell Or to float like a bird in between Somewhere between the good and the evil Somewhere between the right and the wrong Somewhere between the kind and the mean Somewhere between, that's where I belong. Uh, my idea of the model folk singer, although that term is problematic and always has been, my model of a, uh, because see, I think a folk song is a song that isn't owned. It has nobody's name on it. Right. Now, it's common property like the National Forest or like, you know, the Postal Service. It belongs to everybody. Uh, but my idea of a model folk singer is somebody who sings those songs from the common treasury uh, and then finds songs by other people that are really worth singing and then makes them up. 
does all three, not just one. And to me, you're the, the model of the ideal folk singer because you've done that. You've sought out the tradition. And how many people are out on the boards making their living doing any part of the traditional repertoire? You could, like, count them on the fingers of one hand. Yeah, not many. Not many. So that's... that's you you found the traditional music and and do it as well as it can be done. But then, what you what you choose to sing is truly marvelous. To, and the people that you choose to court to learn their songs. And and I remember t- I was talking to you about you know your favorite songs, your favorite writer. You mentioned Peter Bellamy. Oh God! Did you know Peter? Yes, I did. Now there were some of you sang traditional songs better than almost anybody, and and who also. He could write songs that sounded like they were traditional songs. I mean, that's really hard to do, you know. It's like boring holes in furniture and selling them as antiques, yeah. Right, right. But he could really do it uh, with with a great authenticity. I love that that uh, piece he wrote about the transports, the people who were sent from the English prisons. Mm-hmm. To Australia for transport. Was that a folk opera? That, yeah, that was the one. I've never heard that. Is that on? Is that on recording? I've never seen it on a CD. It's. I have it on vinyl. It was recorded. It's a beautiful recording. It has Martin Carthy and Cyril oh. Tawney and uh, Oh A L Lloyd, June Tabor. Sometimes you think about it. Would you make a dub of that and send it to me? Because oh, I will. I like to play that a lot. I'm very enthusiastic about that. I think it's one of the best pieces of work I ever heard. Dolly Collins did all the music uh, arrangements for it. Shirley Collins' sister. Well, let's listen to you uh, singing uh, Peter Bellamy's song Sweet Loving Friendship. I love that song. If you look out from some high high window And you see the sunset beyond the town You may see the rocks to the treetops screaming Or the wing of evening come folding Between the morning and the evening Between the spring and the winter drear There comes a time of a new beginnings When sweet loving friendship drives away all fear There are many here, no but sorrow and like the beasts they live from day to day but we can think on a bright tomorrow 
Since sweet loving friendship drives all cares away. No lonely convict can resist the darkness. Just as no sailor can the driving rain, but find a comrade to share your fastness and the sweet loving friendship will be. Your pain, just like that sailor, when his ship makes harbor, just like a traveler who finds an inn. What can we? If the wind blows harder, if we be safe and warm within, so if you look out from some high, high window and. See the sunset beyond the sky. You need not fear the coming darkness. If some sweet loving friend be. Also, who you choose to play with has been real important to the way that you go at music. You've gone at it music, at, at folk singing, and, and traveling so many different ways in, in such a, a complete although very complex life, but it's been uh, damned complete. Um, we were, when we were talking before, uh, and I was asking you about particular things that you would like me to play, uh, you mentioned Bruce Carver. Remember that hellacious tour that started out in Saratoga, went to Florida, went to Denver, went to the coast, and then you and I wound up in Grand Forks, North Dakota, talking so much we missed our airplane to go to Toronto? Yeah, 15,000 miles of driving, I think. It was that, and we had to use the money we were going to make in order to rent a small plane to, yes. go, up, to go up to Toronto and work for Mitch Podolik. Yeah, Bruce Carver was along on that tour. He taught me an invaluable thing. You know, I love words. When I got the first cup of coffee on the road and cut a little hole in the plastic lid on the top, he said, they call that's a, that's a painter's lip because he was a house painter. That's right. And I never knew what a painter, that that was called a painter's lip. Hell of a guitar player. And uh, and you did one, uh, several records with, with Bruce Carver. Yeah, I think there's three. 
and the and the the one that you did the song that you did that that uh that was so happy did was a song that I made up called Going Away. And one of the reasons I like it is that you sing it beautifully, Bruce Carver plays it beautifully, but also um, you adjusted it the way it needed to be adjusted. Because, you see, uh, I wrote that song for Ammon Hennessy when he died in 1970. Mm-hmm. But I thought nobody would understand it at that time, and it was too hard to explain. So I changed the gender to, to She's Gone Away, mm-hmm. which renders the song senseless <laughs> but so then you turn it back of course to gender neutral you you're going away and now it makes now it makes sense you know the song is for him and hennessy the great catholic anarchist let's listen to rosalie sorrells and bruce carver doing uh, going away by yours truly is that the moon i see over there in the west All the headlights gleam See and all express I know you're gone Whatever I say And it won't Here I make up my mind to go away. Is that the sun over there on the eastern shore? Through the firebox door I know you're gone Whatever I say And it won't be long Till I Man, 
Shows after show that we've done and that I've watched you do and then I've you know listened to the recordings that you've made um, are autobiographical, but in an episodic way. What I mean, as your life has progressed, and I honestly be- believe that the worst things that could happen to a person have happened to you, and the best things that could happen to a person, you know, and uh, and, then, and then with a whole lot of middle. But, you know... You, it, you, but you've uh, had the courage to to write about it, to make songs about it, and then to really sit in front of people and and sing them, and um, to 
you sit on a stage and demand intimacy, irrespective of what the people think they're there for or not. You know, and if they don't give it, you know, then they're the losers, not you. See, and I was thinking particularly of uh, of uh, a more recent song of yours called "Hitchhiker in the Rain." Could you tell us about that? No, oh, yeah, I I wrote that. It's a it's a lament, I guess I would call it for the time people think of as the 60s, all I never call it that, because for me it started in the middle of the 50s and it lasted through the middle of the 70s, you know. (laughs) That time to me was an extraordinary... There was a a feeling of being in a family, you know. I mean, people took me in all the time with all my kids. (laughs) And uh, and there was just such a generosity and also such an upheaval about it. It was an amazing time. And I always marked that time in my head by the fact that I always picked up hitchhikers, you know. I, I had this kid, David, who told me I'd ruin his hitchhiking karma if I didn't pick up the hitchhiker, so I did it. And it's a lament for him, too, because he took his life in 1976, and I continued, in fact, to pick up hitchhikers, having some sort of mental image of him lost in the stars, not getting a ride because I didn't give somebody one. Everybody would say... uh, Rosalie, you have to quit doing that. It's, uh, something awful will happen to you. And nothing awful really ever happened to me. But uh, I was aware of the, the sense that we were losing that, that possibility of, of contact and intimacy because of fear and God knows what all went into it. And at some point... I remember saying, well, I always pick up the ones with the guitars. uh, Somebody gave me a long, cold look and said, Charles Manson had a guitar. And I stopped. I don't do it anymore. And I wrote this song because I passed the hitchhiker one day in, in Sonoma County in the rain. He looked like somebody I knew or somebody I'd like to know, but I was too afraid. And I think about it all the time and wonder, you know, what in the world we've done or what's been done to us that makes us afraid of our own children. I saw him yesterday Thank you. 
dancing like a shining fool at the being in the park. Your body long and lean and curved just like a question mark. Oh, I turned my head and drove back faster than a midnight train. I left the aging in a Occasion path uh, that 
You're one. You're one of the rare people who uh, who work the stage who are, that that understands the importance of what goes on between the songs. That that in many ways is as important as the songs themselves. So that it's a it's a complete performance. It's a it's it's a whole, uh, not just uh, you know one song after the other. And I learned that from you. You know, when when I first showed up in the East and watched how you worked in New York and then up in Saratoga, that I was really going to have to pay attention to what was going on between these songs. Would you tell that great story about the uh, the Boy Scout knife? <laughs> yeah, you know, I have I haven't told those stories for a while. I've got on another kick, but I used to love to tell that story. And in Chicago, there was a guy who I know had some mafia connection or something who used to come buy a drink for the whole house if I tell that story. In any case, it's a traveling salesman story, really. This traveling salesman is sitting in a bar in the Conrad Hilton Hotel in Beirut, bored and lonely. Right away you know it's an old story because nobody's been in the bar of the Conrad Hilton Hotel in Beirut lately and been bored, maybe blown up, but not bored. But there he was, looking in the mirror, as I often do, uh, because you can stare at everybody in the room without them seeing that you're doing it. And just contemplating the faces and the fact that there wasn't anybody interesting there. And all of a sudden, outside through the window, he could see a a Stutz Bearcat, a mint-conditioned Stutz Bearcat, drive right up and stop right in front. You hardly ever see those in Beirut. And out of it piled the most incredibly gorgeous girl he had ever seen. I mean, she had long blonde, flowing golden hair. She had big blue eyes. She had a peaches and cream complexion. She had a gorgeous body. She was the prettiest thing he'd ever seen. She <clears throat> came right through that uh, door and across the terrazzo floor. She came up to the bar and threw herself right down on a stool beside him. And she said to him, Hi, why don't you buy me a drink? He says, I thought you'd never ask. And he bought her a drink, bought her a couple of drinks. They had those. And then she said, uh, why don't you take me home? Well, they went out and got into the Stutz Bearcat and went back to her place, a beautiful apartment. She fixed him a very nice meal, and they had a couple more drinks, listened to some nice music, and then she made incredible love to him all night long. And in the morning, he woke up, and he said, Hey, I, I, I have to tell you. <sighs> I can't tell you how bored and lonely I was right there in the bar of the Conrad Hilton Hotel, but you came along and you have brightened up my life. And I want to get you something. I want to get you anything you want. Just tell me what you want and I'll get it for you. And she says, well, as you can see, I'm a very attractive lady, and I have long, blonde, flowing golden hair, and I have the big blue eyes and the peaches and cream complexion and the gorgeous body. Men just love me. They follow me around everywhere I go, and they give me things. I have a mint-conditioned Stutz Bearcat, and in my garage I have a Porsche as well. I have furs, and I have jewels, and I 
have everything a girl could possibly want or need. However, there is one thing I'd really like to have. And he says, tell me what it is, I'll get it. She says, it's a six-bladed pearl-handled gold inlaid Boy Scout knife. Long pause, he says. That's weird. <laughs> and um, they're harder to get here than stuffed bear cats. But I'll do my best. I'll do my best. So he goes on his salesman trip all the way around the Mediterranean. He stops here and he stops there and finally stops in Constantinople, which is no longer even called that, on a bright blue blazing day at one of those great open markets. And in the back of a booth, in the back of a bin, he sees sparkling there a six-bladed pearl-handled golden inlaid Boy Scout knife, hops right on it, haggles around, gets it, shoves it in his pocket, makes a beeline for Beirut. And when he gets there, he goes back to the bar of the Conrad Hilton Hotel, having forgotten that lady's name as traveling salesman I want to do. And he sits down on the stool, looking into the mirror, waiting expectantly. And sure enough, up perks that mint condition, that spare cat, out piles that gorgeous girl. In she comes, across the lobby, into the bar, sits down beside him on the stool and says, hello again. And the same scene unfolds. They have their drinks, they get in the car, they go back to her place. It's a fine meal and more drinks and the beautiful music and incredible love all night long. And in the morning he wakes up and nudges her and says, hey, I got something for you. And he reaches over to his jacket pocket, and he pulls out the six-bladed, pearl-handled, golden-laid Boy Scout knife and dangles it in front of her and says, What do you think of that? <coughs> she looks at it for a minute, and she says, Thank you very much. Takes it into her hand, reaches under the bed, opens a big bin with 1,203 other six-bladed, pearl-handled, golden-laid Boy Scout knives and throws it in. Even longer pause than before, he says, And that makes me feel ever such a, a little bit weird. Would you mind explaining that? She says, well, as you can see, I'm a very attractive lady. I have the long, blonde, flowing, golden hair. I have the big blue eyes. I have the peaches and cream complexion and the gorgeous body, and men just love me. They follow me around everywhere I go, and they give me things. I have a mint condition that's bear cat. However, one of these days, my long blonde flowing hair will grow gray and brittle. My big blue eyes will grow dim. My peaches and cream complexion will get all wrinkled up, and my body's going to sag a whole lot, and they are not going to follow me around anymore. They are going to stay away in droves. They're sure as hell not going to give me any more Stutz Bearcats. And I will be alone. All alone. But what would not a Boy Scout do for a six-bladed, pearl-handled, gold-inlaid Boy Scout knife?
<laughs> well told. Well told. Uh, we've known each other be- better, a good bit better than 40 years. That's right. And uh, I've enjoyed every damn minute of it, you know. And, and you've been, uh, you, you got got me into this trade, and which, which means a whole new life, and a lot healthier than the one I was leading back in uh, Salt Lake City, for sure. And you know that. <laughs> I mean, for every in your debt. I'm, I'm not ever sure you're not going to beat me about the head and ears with a fungo bat for doing that. <laughs> no, no, I'm glad you like it. <laughs> Boy, I sure, yeah. It's, it's, it, was, it was a whole new life, which I'm eternally grateful. So, And and also, just thank you. You've, you've taken, you've hung on to songs that I've made up. Because, you know, I make up songs in my head, and when they're done in my head, I don't write things down. That's as much as I get out of it, you know. Then they then they vanish. But no, you've you've hung on to those songs and uh, and offered them to other people. Um, I want to go all the way back to kind of where we started with that first uh, folk legacy record that you made with Mitch Greenhill and uh, the first recording of a song that I made up and I believe I gave it to you for a gift. Uh, if I could be the rain. Oh, what a that's got to be one of my favorite songs to me, and you know. Each person who takes somebody else's song and makes it their own has their own vision of what's it, what it is about. But to me, the key line is, if I could hide the way I feel, I'd never sing again. All right. Rosalie, we'll talk to you later. Uh, your birthday party's coming in. It'll be your 65th birthday at the end of June. 65th. Yeah. Is that what it is? 65. Oh, 65, yeah, well, and there'll be a whole lot of people that uh, will be trying to find the secret location of this party, and I'm not telling anybody. (laughs) (laughs) But I hope you've got somebody else to do the cooking this year. Yeah, I think this year I'm going to lie in the hammock and and direct traffic. All right. I'm going to be good for for a while. (laughs) We'll see you later on. Let's listen to Rosie Sorrells and Mitch Greenhill, If I Could Be the Rain. Sometimes I wonder how the simple rain can weep. Why the wind's a lonely child that cries itself to sleep. I've envied the sunlight, the amber of its smile. Wished it could be borrowed for a while. If I could be the rain, I'd wash down to the sea. If I could be the wind, there'd be no more of me. If I could be the sunlight, and all the days were mine, I would find some special place to shine.
But all the rain I'll ever be is locked up in my eyes When I hear the wind, it only whispers sad goodbyes If I could hide the way I feel, I'd never sing again Sometimes I wish that I could be the rain If I could be the rain I wash down to the sea If I could be the wind There'd be no more of me If I could hide the way I feel I'd never sing again Sometimes I wish that I could be the rain Well, that's it for this edition of Loafer's Glory, the Hobo Jungle of the Mind. Thanks very much for listening to us. I certainly would also like to thank the Haitian World Fund of the Tides Foundation for helping us to, to do this sort of thing. We'll see you again. From the writing of Rosalie Sorrells, My love for the West is bound to my love for my family and a firm conviction that strength will only return to me when I am weakened by time and the rigors of living in the world if I make contact with the land upon which I was born. It is the territory of space, a place where people have gone so that they could hear the sound of their own singing, so that they could hear their name if it were called, so that they could know what they think. They think some strange and wonderful things, the drifters, the gamblers, the loners, the cowboys, the Indians, the Mormons, wobblies, organizers, the pickers, the planters, miners, loggers, truck drivers, basts, Swedes, crotchety old men and women who have been there, young girls and boys who are trying to find the way. But the space is narrowing. You feel it everywhere you go. And with it, the space of mind seems to be closing as well. You long for some place so that's new, frontiers again, new mountains to climb, new persuasions.